Welcome guys and letting you know you are in the right place. So here's our subject for today. So what we're going to talk about is population. This is a new subject for us. So there's going to be some new concepts and new things to consider. The two main things that we're going to talk about are how different populations interact and we will talk about life history strategies. What that means is basically like how do different organisms or different animals reproduce to survive. So what we're going to be talking about here is unit three, populations, okay? We will talk about populations from several different point of views, like human population, animal population, things like that. But this one right here, mainly talking about populations in general, okay? So this lesson, it's going to be a, a decently short lesson, but we're mainly talking about populations in general. This right here, guys, I left that link in the presentation because you guys have access to the link. So if you go to it, the website is worldometers.info. That's www.worldometers.info. So if you want to find more information about any of the numbers dealing with population, go to that website, right? So we're not going to go to it right now, but it, you have access to it. You guys can go to it. Okay. So this is the first thing that we're looking at. So we're looking at how, or we'll just go off exactly what it says. So four variables that influence population size. Okay. So an increase here would be one of two ways. Births. So every time, like, I mean, and that should be straightforward, right? So every time something is born, right? And and notice we're not getting specific with the species because it's the same with any organism, no matter what it is. When a new new organism, new animal, new person, whatever is born, your numbers go up. A simple addition, right? You add one or many, numbers go up. Another way that the population can increase is immigration. Notice that I. If you guys if you guys don't know the trick, it's immigration is in. Okay? So immigration means your population is going to go up because you are adding some something from somewhere else, right? So if your family moved to Modesto from wherever, like let's say you were living in Let's say, let's say you're living next door. You're living in series. Your family buys a home and moves to Modesto. The population of Modesto goes up. Pretty simple addition, right? So I do have to clarify something because there's the there should be another set of texts where it's talking about how your population can decrease, but some of the formatting created issues so you don't see decrease. So there's an issue there. So but let's talk about how population decreases. So population decreases from basically the opposite of what we've said, right? So what's the opposite of birth? Death. So when something dies, your population goes down. Pretty simple, right? That's just subtraction. Same thing with now immigration. So if you look on the left where it says immigration, that is, think, exiting. That's why it's got the E. So as that bird going across the middle, as it's leaving the population on the left, 
the population on the left is losing a number, population on the right is gaining a number. So if that person moved from Ceres to Modesto, Ceres loses one, Modesto gains one. Simple math, subtraction. Okay, and so this is something that we're going to see a bunch of examples of here, and we'll talk about a bunch of examples, and this is something that is actually becoming more interesting of a topic. This is actually something that I, that, that I studied with, uh, with Valley Oak populations in the Central Valley, right? So what we're looking at here is these metapopulations. So it says spatially distinct populations that are connected by occasional movements of individuals among them using wildlife corridors. Okay, if you don't know what a corridor is, think of like a uh, hallway, right? So you're seeing several different examples in the image. Don't get too caught up. Like you don't need to memorize the types. You don't need to memorize any of that stuff. But what you're looking at is just imagine those, like the, the blotches, all those different black blotches on the screen. Those are like any sort of habitat or population, right? The lines connecting them are the way in which they're they're moving from habitat to habitat, okay? So those are just different examples. Now let's talk about some more real-life examples. So this is one example one set of examples for wildlife corridors because one of the issues is actually I'll share an example with you. So if you guys didn't know, uh, in Southern California, there's a huge population of mountain lions and I forget what the, I believe it's the Pacific crest highway that is isolating this population. So the PCH Pacific Crest Highway is isolating a population of these mountain lions. And so scientists for years, 10, 20 years, have known that these mountain lions were going to have issues down the road because they were like they were isolated, right? And like if you're like, well, I, I don't get it, right? So we've talked about biodiversity. We've talked about biodiversity amongst different species and amongst their own species, right? Gen genetic diversity. So if you're like, oh, I'm still not getting what you're saying, Campbell, think about it this way. And like this, I'm going to say something a little bit interesting here, but like the fact that you think of this as gross is correct, right? If I put you and your cousins, you and all your cousins, I don't know if you guys have big families, maybe you do, right? So I put you and all your cousins, like there's 20 of you and you're all, you're all related and I isolate you, right? You're stuck in an area. And you eventually reproduce. What might be, think about what some issues might be. We should know this, right? That is likely if it's your cousins, if it's your first, I'm not talking like third cousins, I'm talking first cousins, right? It's likely there could be some birth defects. So that's the issue that you have when you isolate a population of any animal, right? Eventually, they will reproduce with their own, right? So maybe like for these mountain lions, maybe they're sisters, they're so like siblings, cousins, right? So when they when they they mate and they mate with people that are like an isolated group, it creates issues. So they've actually found like they knew that this was going to happen, like they knew it. They just 
for different reasons, they couldn't solve the problem quick enough. They've tried physically moving animals. They've tried all these different things. They knew it was going to be a problem, and now it is. They are actually starting to find some of these mountain lions with birth defects, like crooked tails, with like odd things. Like you can actually, they're literally last week I read an article about this. And we won't go, like we don't need to go too in depth with this, but that is why you see the image that you do. You see three examples of what to you looks like regular overpasses or tunnels. They're not. Because typical overpasses are for cars, right? Are for us to drive over. They only benefit us. You don't see like, you don't go drive over like 99 and you see uh, a little raccoon walking next to you. Oh, cool. I'm using the overpass too. That doesn't happen. So what these are is for those animals, right? Some of them are huge. Some of them are smaller, but either way it's to benefit these animals so they can walk across. Because like some places they can just walk across the road. But if you look at this image top left, where we have these medians so cars don't run into each other, these like concrete barriers, these walls, uh, well, a, a deer, an elk, a mountain lion might be able to get through there, but it's a challenge, right? So they're going to avoid it, okay? So then they become isolated. So that's where these come into play. Land bridges, okay? That's the benefit of these. So that's one example of how we can connect these populations. This is a much larger scale example, but you look at the, like, so we're looking at an area, we're talking, guys, and if you don't know, we're near Nepal and India, um, you can see it border China as well, we're looking at the, like, the Himalaya mountain range, okay? So, looking at this area, we're south side of the Himalaya mountain range, so up against there is a very important, uh, very important biome. If you look on this map, you see a bunch of purple blotches. Those purple blotches, based on the legend, are protected areas, okay? So what that means is it would be like, you know, think of like a national park, national forest. So it's like there's certain things that you can't do there. So it's better for a lot of the animals, better for the ecosystem, okay? So that's what we're looking at here. And so the trouble is, like if you, if you look at this scale down here, like so that line from the zero to the 200, that's 200 kilometers. So... From the farthest right protected area to the next closest bigger purple area, that's got to be, without like actually knowing, that's got to be about 400 kilometers. Maybe less, maybe more, but 400 kilometers. So think about, I mean, you know, realistically, if say a snow leopard lives in one of those areas, are they ever going to travel to the to the other area? If it's just those purple areas? No, Right. So then what they've done is the green areas, most of the green areas that you're seeing are corridors. So it's basically like a hallway, right? So using the school, for example, in the classroom, we can interact. But once the bell rings and you go to your fourth period class, how do you travel there safely? You use the corridor, which might be a hallway, might be a walkway, might be the quad, whatever, right? That's your corridor. That's how you're traveling. So the protected area is the classroom. The corridor would be the hallway, the walkway, whatever. And you're traveling to the next protected area. So these areas, these corridors are very beneficial. Okay. Let's share some more examples. This one's pretty cool, right? Top left. I don't know if you guys have ever seen that. I mean, please, please, please go look that up. Christmas Island, Australia. 
Just look up those crabs. There's millions of them all over the place. And the issue is this. Like, you literally can't walk or drive anywhere when this is going on because there's so many crabs. Like, you like you have no choice, but, like, what if you have to get somewhere, right? You, these people end up running, just running over these crabs. And there's actually a, a very interesting in, invasive species there, these ants that shoot uh, some, like, acidic – not like – I don't want to say venom, but, like, shoot – like basically acid into the crab's eyes and it's a huge issue with these invasive species so if you want to do some research on your own check out the spitting ants on christmas island but that's one example of that specific that little uh culvert is specifically for those crabs to travel through another example that you see is this large tunnel so we Showed you the example of where we can go over the freeway. And that is a great example, right? It's huge, though. So that costs a lot of money. So sometimes a cheaper example is to go under. Okay? So there you go. Another one that you might see is this. Because this is one of the issues that we see with bees. Like, you don't have very much genetic diversity. You don't. So... We've tried to come up with better ways to not just have bees strictly for like, like, like here in the Central Valley, we have our bees for mainly our tree crops, right? And so we have bees that work those crops, but it's generally the same bees. So we want more genetic diversity. We want more of these wild bees. It's the truth. We do. So this is one example, right? So it's this container, right? So nobody can go in there unless they have access so, but you have, you can see that white box would be the beehive, and then they have these flowers. So then these bees can travel from all over and, and use these as examples. So that would be another example of, well, the, of the protected area, the corridor would be them flying around. So we're basically just trying to create more area for them, for the populations to interact, right? This one, I'm showing an example of something... Obviously, this says here it is in Europe, but what I want to show you is this. This is almost spot on with if you look up an image of Dry Creek, right? The reason why I chose to not show an image of some, something near us like Dry Creek, which many of you could walk to in the next 10 minutes, but the main reason why I chose to not show Dry Creek is because I didn't want you to think that that was the only thing spot that's like that this looks just like it so the benefit here is that everything's connected right so you have this area where you're not isolated okay because we see this too often where we think of it as a positive right oh we're making this state park this refuge this whatever 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 and it's just an isolated 500 acres so is, is anything truly benefiting or are you just isolating a group right that's something to think about Okay, so there, what, we're, what we were talking about there with looking at the population, pop, populations interacting, we're mainly seeing how populations live, right? So now we're going to make a, a little bit of a jump here, and we're talking about life history strategies. So life history strategies are a series of events from birth through reproduction to death. So it's basically like, 
from an animal being born to it dying, how does it recreate life? What is its strategy that it has evolved? That's what we're looking at. There's two main strategies that we're going to look at. And I knew this was going to happen. So the format on some of these is messed up. So work with me here. So you can read the top there where it says life history strategies influence growth rate of a population, including age of first reproduction. So like these are the variables. These are like the things that would change, right? So age of first reproduction. So at what age can an organism, like on average, right? Because you know it changes. The age that something can viably reproduce. Okay, so that would be like one key variable. So, I mean, think about it, right? So for like, for, for an animal like us, for a girl, like what is the, the viable age that a girl could reproduce? What, maybe 13 to 16, right? I mean, so think about it, like you, you could, right? Uh, but think about that compared to like, I don't, off the top of my head, a dog. A dog, it's like two years. I mean, so think, like, think about the, the difference there. Think about a rabbit, a, you know, a rat, like we're just talking mammals, right? So think about something as small as like a fly. For them, it's maybe a week, right? You know what I'm saying? Depending on the fly, right? The next variable would be the number of offspring, okay? So how many young is it producing? So the example there that we see is a sea turtle. We should know, I mean, not should know, you might know. Sea turtles have a lot of offspring. Okay, so that is one strategy. It's just a strategy, right? Number three, the amount of parental care given to the offspring. So if you think about it, right, like think of an elephant. An elephant generally, typically, will have one offspring. But how much care do they give? Like they spend almost their whole life with that offspring, right? So yes, they the gest gestation period so the elephant is pregnant for longer. Uh, one offspring takes it longer to mature, all these things. But there's a lot of parental care. Think about that. This sea turtle, once that sea turtle's done laying those eggs and burying them, you know what it says? See you later. You know, so, so there's different strategies, right? Number four is the energy cost of reproduction. So what that means is for like we can go back to us as example like obviously it's easy it's like we all know somebody's had a kid maybe you've um like maybe you were in the hospital right when somebody that you know maybe your mom maybe your sister maybe your your aunt uncle who well, i guess you can't be your uncle so let's get that one out of there but uh but when somebody was having a kid right maybe you were there so the the point that i'm making here is how much energy did they lose think about that right so it's very different Right? So, but this sea turtle, how much energy, energy does it lose? A fly, how much energy, energy does it lose? Right? So, there's different variables there. So, these are the four main factors that decide the strategy of reproduction. And there are trends here. So, we'll, and we'll talk. Okay. And so, you might be asking, well, how do they come up with these strategies? Like, how do, like, why are there different strategies? So, it's been shaped by evolution. And what I mean by evolution is natural selection, but more importantly, it's been shaped by success, right? If it didn't work, it didn't reproduce or the offspring didn't move on because if there's success, they will carry that trait and pass on the trait, which might mean more success. So over a thousand years, if there's a lot of success, you can see the unsuccessful ones don't keep going. 
the successful ones keep going. Makes sense, right? Then, uh, like I've already talked about it, talked about natural selection. Then every, how do I say it? So within a species, based on the environment that they live in, the strategy might be slightly different. Okay, so just something to keep in mind. And we mentioned coyotes earlier. Coyotes are a great example. They are such a clever species. Coyotes are way smarter than people give them credit for. They might potentially be the coolest animal in the world. One thing that they can do is they actually change how much offspring they have. Most animals, it's literally, they're within a range of, you know, like it does, it varies, let's say with a number, it varies 10%. Coyotes can go from having like one or two offspring to having like 10 or 12 based on the environment. So if food resources are limited, if there's drought conditions, whatever it is, right? They might have less. If if the place is overpopulated, they might have less. If everything's flourishing, they might have more. So it varies based on the environment. I hey, and I, once again, I apologize for the format. It does get worse. Just work with me here. Okay. So there's two main strategies, guys, and this is extremely important. This one, I believe, is the one that's under discussion. I believe this week you're doing R-selective. So you need to know this. This is the most important. The most important thing in what we talk about today are the next two reproduction strategies or life history strategies that we talk about. So we're going to talk about R-selective. Okay, R-selective is one category of strategy, right? And you'll see a graph at the end, and you'll understand that, like, Yes, there's these strategies, but don't think that, like, it's super cut and dry, right? There is a range, okay? So, the what decides if something is R-selected is this. If it meets all of this criteria, then it is 100% an R-selected strategy. You can be somewhat, and you can be, like, in the middle, right? So, we'll talk about that at the end, but first, let's talk about what exactly R-selected species are. So... There is a lot of energy into reproduction, not survival. Does that make sense? So uh, what I'm saying there is there's some, like insects would be a great example. There's some insects that die. There's many insects that die in the reproduction process. So what I mean is like there's some dragonflies that when they mate, they get stuck together and then they die. But how many offspring are they having, right? So it's okay to have that sacrifice for the numbers. They are poor competitors, okay? So they as individuals, so they, that's why they need the, the numbers by attrition. So that's why they need the big numbers because one of them is not going to outcompete something. So they need many. They are opportunists. They take advantage of favor, favorable conditions or changes in the environment, okay? So what I'm saying there is a lot of times like these R-selected species are seasonal because they're taking advantage of a specific time of year, plants, animals, whatever. And so they're taking advantage of that opportunity so they reproduce a lot in that specific time period. When favorable conditions are gone, populations crash. 
right? Because if the food supply runs out, like think of like locust in history, right? Locust at times, like if there's a large food, food supply, you'd get millions and millions of locusts. They'd wipe out the food supply and they'd all die. And then, but think about it, it goes a step further, right? Because you get millions of those. What else is going to happen? Maybe there's like some rodent that eats the locust. So you get hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of that rodent. But whenever the food supplies out, population crashes. Next thing is populations go through irregular or unstable cycles. You can see because it's like, oh, if there's a lot of something, they just get numbers, 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 crash. Next time there's a large food supply, maybe it's seasonal, maybe it's random, whatever, psh, population increase. You can see how it, it drastically changes pretty quickly. Okay, so you guys can access this information, right? I have updated it in, in uh, or I will have it updated next one, but you guys can access this where you can see the, the information. But I'll go ahead and read to you what it says, even though you can't quite see it. So let me look at it on my version. Okay, so here's the characteristics of many, not every single uh, many are selected species. Generally, they're smaller, okay? Because if you're having a million offspring, a thousand offspring, a hundred offspring, if you're having a lot of offspring, it's hard to make all of them extremely large, okay? They generally, our selected species generally reproduce when they're young, have many offspring, and low survival rate, okay? Little to no parental care. So if we go to that turtle, think about it. Like you guys have probably seen the videos, right? They lay a hundred eggs. Once those eggs start crawling out of the sand, immediately animals start grabbing the, the young. Not many of them make it to the water. And you know who's not there to help is the mom. The mom has already booked it and is a hundred miles away. Okay, so little to, to no parental care and low survival. Exponential growth. Right? So if they're having, if each one of those turtles has 100 offspring, this is the dilemma of how much do you help? Because if things are eating them naturally, that kind of should happen, right? So if we help all of them survive, if every one of those turtles survives, there will be an exponential growth. Because then instead of only having a thousand adult turtles, we now have 10,000 adult turtles in each one of those, you know, half, say half of those are males. So you have 5,000, those 5,000, they all have 100 offspring. And if we help all of those survive, like you guys can see how quickly this could get out of control. And so that's why you could quickly have like a swarm of something like those locusts because they can grow exponentially. So that's why their numbers can, what, what seems like overnight drastically increase. Generally, um, Generally, it's unpredictable because it's environment dependent, which goes in the next one. So it's controlled by density independent factors. Okay. Um, and last thing says exhibit type three survivorship curve. So you'll see that at the end. You'll you'll see what a type three survivorship curve means. Okay. Let me go back to this so I can get this all on the same page. Okay. Here are some examples. So bacteria, like any microorganism is going to be R-selected. Algae, most annual plants, dandelions, 
most insects, cockroaches, rodents, and the list goes on, right? Like, that, I mean, that is almost an endless list. Like, I was also talking about those turtles. Like, anything that meets that criteria or most of that criteria is R selected. Next thing. Once again, I apologize for the format. K selected. They put a lot of energy into long-term survival. High parental care. Good competitors. So one of them is able to compete against the R-selected species. They thrive best in an ecosystem with fairly constant environmental conditions. So they don't... So they, you need, they need some consistency, right? Populations re remain close to carrying capacity over long periods of time. Generally, they meet these characteristics. Generally, they're bigger, which makes sense, right? More energy equals it's going to be larger. Late reproduction, fewer offspring, most survive. So, I mean, think about us. Think about how many, like the percentage of young, like the percent, percentage of babies that survive into adolescence, like the amount of human beings that make it from being born to the age of 13, when they can, like if it's a female, like technically... Technically, like I know, like, like I'm not at all condoning this. This this shouldn't happen, but technically, about 13 to 15, a female could reproduce, right? Um, just like us as a species is what I'm saying. So think about how the percentage that make it to that point. It's like the, almost like the vast majority of human beings make it to that point, compared to something like a fruit fly, right? Think about it, like not that many percentage wise of those flies or those sea turtles or whatever are making it there. That's the difference. High parental care. Like, so, like, I used elephants as the example. I mean, they, they're with them 24-7 that whole way. Why? Because a lot of energy went into that baby. So, I mean, think about it. Um, they live in predictable environments. So, like, generally, most K-selected species, so that's what we're talking about now, K-selected, most K-selected species are going to fit in with within a given environment. They are controlled by density-dependent factors. So what it's saying here is if you get too many in too small of an area, they're not cool with that. K-selected species do not like too many in too small of an area. They exhibit the type 1 survivorship curve. So let's look at some examples here. Humans, so us. Large trees. Polar bears, elephants, and most mammals and birds. So pretty straightforward, right? So here is our graph, and you need to understand this graph. You need to know this graph, okay? So the type 1 survivorship curve is on the top, right? So you're seeing, you're seeing what happens here, right? So on our y-axis, we have number of survivors. So once again, survivorship curve, right? So number of survivors and then the age, right? So this, like the baby's representing um, that it's that age, you know, one, two, three years old. Most humans make it to that age. Most humans make it to adulthood. Then there's a drastic, there, there's like a, you know, you hit, you hit what, like 65, 70 and there's like a drastic no matter where you're from there's a drastic drop off of humans dying like same thing with uh elephants right there's a drastic drop off then you have some where it's like pretty standard like it's pretty much just like a steady decline 
Then we have our other animals where from the get-go, there's a drastic drop-off. So we could go back to those sea turtles. Okay, so the sea turtles from the get-go, once they crawl out of the egg, they're dying. Okay, so hopefully that makes sense. So that's us looking at several things. We're looking at how given populations of animals interact. And some, we did look at some environmental ways that we can help them interact, which is beneficial because you increase biodiversity. We've also looked at um, life history strategies, which are R-selected and K-selected. Well, guys, that is our lesson for today. Hopefully, you learned a lot. If you have questions, you know where to send them. If you have comments or concerns, send them to the same place. Let me know if you have a way to make this podcast better. Let me know if there's a better way for me to help you. If you have any input for me, just send it my way. I'd love to hear it. Thanks, guys. See you next time.